Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Man, an entire day spent doing that would not be wasted. This is uh, really a dress rehearsal for heaven, right? And I hope as we uh, dive into God's word today uh, that it will lead to understanding, which will lead to growth and sanctification, which will lead to even more worship. Uh, as DJ said, my name is Brian. I'm the new guy, which clearly doesn't understand his uh, nonverbal cues yet. So we'll work on that. Uh, this is my family. Uh, some of you have seen this picture already. Some of you haven't. I just figured I'd throw it up here again because they make me look way better. Uh, so that's my oldest son, Landon. We got Tyson, Austin, Caitlin, and then my lovely wife, Anna. And we are uh, excited to be back in Indianapolis. We uh, spent the last couple of years in Chicago. And uh, I got to say, Chicago is a world-class city with amazing food, but I do not miss the traffic. Uh, and uh, so just to kind of prove that, hey, listen, I have an Indianapolis heritage. Here's a picture from six years ago. That is me and my three boys uh, on the stadium Lucas Oil Field. And uh, we were out there uh, doing some uh, uh, trick-or-treating, some fun stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, when we moved to Chicago, uh, the first thing that happened that fall was the Cubs won the World Series. When we moved to Indianapolis, the first thing that happened is Andrew Luck retired. So sorry. <laughs> sorry about that one. Uh, but what you'll see when you look in this picture, uh, actually, if you look at that, that was only six years ago. And uh, there's no gray in the beard. So, uh, yes, I'm feeling my age. And in fact, if you watched me try to carry this thing up here, you may have noticed a little bit of limping. Uh, I've been training for the Chicago Marathon and uh, uh, was fine when I was training in Chicago. Moved here, started running with Kevin Adams, and apparently he started pushing me a little too hard. And uh, uh, I've had a hip strain. Uh, went to the doctor on Friday, got an x-ray. They prescribed all this medicine, which apparently is going to make me hungry, cranky, and hyper. Because I didn't want any of that going to you guys, I've decided to hold off until tomorrow to take that. So you may see me kind of hobbling around the stage. It's fine. Just getting older. It's going to be all right. Uh, but the one thing you'll notice when you look at this picture is you'll notice my daughter's not there. And that's because in this picture, she's a baby. <laughs> We had three boys, and my wife comes to me and says, listen, hey, if we have a fourth kid, it's going to be a girl. And I'm like, how do you know that? We had a fourth kid, and it was a girl. So now everything my wife says, I take as truth. But it brings up this question, as I was even talking with her this week, it brings up this question, how do you know that you know? She said it was going to be a girl, and she believed it, and it turned out to be true. But when did we actually know that? Was it during the ultrasound or was it when she was born? When did we really know? How do you know you know? In philosophy, those are called questions of epistemology. What is the meaning of knowledge and how do you know that you know? Uh, none of you are going to argue with me that this is an apple. You know that this is an apple because it lines up with your entire life experience, but some things are harder to know. Like what if I say it's going to rain tomorrow? How do I know that? What if I say the Colts are going to win at 4 o'clock? How do I know that? What if I ask you, is your faith real? Or how do you know that you really know Christ? These are much harder questions. That's what we're going to dive into today. So if you bow your heads and pray with me as we open up God's word together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and worship you passionately. Lord, and as we open your word, 
We're going to see some truths in here, some of which are comforting and some of which are challenging. Lord, and I pray that you would just give us ears to hear. Help us to understand. Help me to communicate with clarity and with passion. Lord, help everyone here to understand exactly what your word says about these things. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message today is Grow and You'll Know which sort of gives it away, but we're going to open up to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and if you want to turn to verse 3 and read this with me, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 2 verse 3, and by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. First thing I want you to see right here, number one, those who know him obey him. Those who know him, obey him. And when you get to this verse, it's pretty clear there's some little observations we can make. And I just want to point these things out. The first thing that I want to point out is right here, uh, and this, by this we know that we have come to know him. Number one, you have to know, excuse me, you, you have to come to him. You have to come to him. That's what this passage is saying. It's saying that nobody has always known Jesus Christ. Nobody is born a believer. You have to come to know him. And the second little observation here is that you can have confidence that you have come to know him. John is saying, and by this we know that we have come to know him. And the third little observation is this, the confidence that you have come to know him comes from how you now live your life. If you keep his commandments. If you recall back to the, uh, the context of this uh, book that John is writing, he's kind of uh, calling out some of the false doctrine of those who left the church. There was a group of people and they went off, they were led astray by false doctrine and they were coming back to their friends and saying, hey, listen, you're missing it. There's some special knowledge, some certain enlightenment that you don't have and that means you're not saved and John was understandably concerned. And so he's steering right into that, and he's saying, listen up. Christ did the work, verses 1 and 2. So here's how we know that we have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We do what he says. We obey his commands. Do you see it right there in verse 3? So the reverse, therefore, is also true. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. God's saying these people say they know Christ, but they aren't acting like they know Christ. They're pretending. They are deceived, and they are deceiving. God's saying if a thing is what it says it is, there will be evidence that it is what it says it is. Going back to the apple. This is obvious, right? This is an apple. But less obvious, what if I asked you, is this tree healthy? And if I asked you, how do you know that this tree is healthy? What would you say? You would say, does the tree bear fruit? Does it have apples? And are the apples healthy? That's what John is saying. 
John is saying the evidence of a life saved by Christ is increasing obedience. If someone says, I follow Christ, it's proved or disproved by whether or not they actually follow Christ. Those who know him, obey him. And this is how we know him, that we obey increasingly. Now, there's some tension in this passage. Because when you first read that, if you read it quickly and maybe come from certain backgrounds, you can look at it and say, I knew it. Obedience is the thing that matters. But I'll be really, really clear. Obedience is the evidence of salvation. Obedience is not the cause of salvation. You don't continue to obey to get more saved. Christ has already done that. Christ has finished the work. Obedience is the evidence that you have accepted Christ as your Savior. There's some other tension in this. Some of you, as you read these words, should be comforted by it. And some of you, as you read these words, should be challenged by them. I think the saddest thing in the world to me is someone who goes to church regularly but doesn't know Christ. Someone who believes that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ but shows no evidence of that. I walked an aisle when I was six. I prayed a prayer with my grandmother. I raised my hand at a rally, but my life has not changed at all. That reflects your reality. You should be very concerned by these words. The Bible offers no confidence in the salvation of the person who has not been changed by the gospel. But by God's grace, it offers great confidence to the person who is continually being changed by the power of the gospel. Let me say this another way. If you can live in a continuous pattern of disobedience and sin, perhaps Jesus Christ is not your Lord. But there are many in this room who should be very, very comforted by these words. Because the beauty of the gospel is not that we have to live it perfectly. The beauty of this is that we ought to live it increasingly. John even acknowledged this in, in verse or 2. He says, I wrote this to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, here's what happens. John acknowledges the fact that we're not going to live this out perfectly but increasingly. Every one of us who claims to be in Christ should be able to point back to the presence of the Spirit. How has God changed your life? Some of you, I know, have tremendous stories of how God completely changed your life and delivered you from incredible sin. And it's a story of God's 
glorious faithfulness. And you can point back to that and say, I know the presence of the Holy Spirit has changed me. And some of you are still struggling. But here's the hope that I want to give you. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, Paul says it this way, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. One of my good friends in Chicago, his name's uh, Dr. Mike Van Lanningham, and he has this uh, 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 way of explaining it. I love it. He says, for a believer, if you continue to walk in a way that just completely gratifies the flesh, the spirit will come along and knock, 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 knock. Won't let you continue that way. But at the same time, if you're a believer and you say, I'm going to always walk in the spirit and never sin, the flesh comes along and goes, knock, 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 and won't let you continue that way. So the standard is not perfectly, it's not the absence of sin. The standard is increasingly, I want anybody who in this room is struggling with our salvation because they haven't overcome a sin to recognize that the presence of the struggle against sin is evidence of the presence of the Spirit. Because when the Spirit is absent, you don't struggle, you just do. And though you may not have overcome that sin yet, guess what happens? The Spirit will win. Stay on the path to increasing obedience. And if this is something that has challenged you as you read these verses and you say, I don't have any sins that I can point to overcoming. I don't have any growth that I can point to. Maybe it's time to wrestle with that question. Has Jesus Christ truly saved you? I want you to evaluate your patterns of obedience. Just stop for a second and think about the last year. Where in the last year have you seen growth? Growth in your attitudes, growth in your actions, growth in Jesus Christ. John doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 5, which leads us to our second point today. The first is that those who know him obey him. The second is those who obey him love more and more. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The first two verses here that we looked at show the evidence of an unseen reality. Now Paul is going to describe what does that evidence look like. And that is, as we keep his commands, we grow in love. And I I love this, that word perfected there uh, is really like complete fully equipped, done. So the idea is like, uh, as you obey, the Lord is filling up your fuel tank. And as you obey, the fuel gets higher and higher. And at some point, we all get to heaven, the fuel tank will be complete. We are equipped. As we obey, the love of God is increasing in its completeness of us, in us. 
And as we obey, we love more and more. Which makes sense because Jesus himself said, hey, listen, all of the law and all of the commandments can be boiled down to two things, love God and love others. So it makes sense that as we obey the commands, as we do what the Lord has told us, that it will bear fruit of love in us. Going back to the apple. As if John is saying, listen, as you grow, as you obey the commands of Jesus Christ, your fruit will get sweeter. The fruit, the evidence of salvation is the existence of fruit, but the more you obey, the sweeter the fruit gets. As I was studying this, I was wondering, like, what are the sweetest fruits? Turns out the sweetest fruit in the world by volume is figs. I would not have gotten that. Do you know what the most bitter fruit is? Artichokes. Apparently that's a fruit. (laughs) So you should be getting more like figs and getting less like artichokes. The more you grow, the more you obey, your life should be marked by love and sweetness, not by bitterness. The very next question is, Why is it that so many Christians you encounter seem to be becoming more like artichokes as they get older? You know what I'm talking about? Why is it that it seems like the longer we follow Christ at times, the more bitter we become, the more rigid, the less graceful, and not the more loving? the more gracious, the more kind. I think the reason for that is because we obey for the wrong reasons. We have the wrong motives for obedience. I want to throw up three motives for obedience. And the first is we obey because we have to. This is essentially punitive obedience. I have to earn his favor. I have to obey and do the things that he wants me to do or else I'm going to get it. That works for a little while. But what happens when the pruning comes along? What happens when it doesn't seem to develop? When you continually look at the Lord and fear his retribution instead of love his grace, the end result is more bitterness. Let's look at this one. I obey because I need to. This is transactional obedience. I need to obey him, so I'll continue to get that which I want. As long as I obey, I get what I want. Anybody have any kids in that department? I got four of them. But what happens when you stop getting what you want? When you have equated obedience directly to blessing, what happens when your wife gets cancer? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when something doesn't go right? The immediate thought is, God, I thought you would. And the end result is bitterness. So the final way here, 
the motive for obedience, is because I want to. This is relational obedience. Some of you have kids who have reached this level, and it is beautiful and glorious. They obey because they want to. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of all that he has sacrificed for me, I want to obey. And the end result is love. And obedience motivated by love leads to increased love for God and for others. Now, Pastor Joe is actually going to unpack this a little bit more next week uh, as he goes on in 1 John because John really kind of talks about what does this love look like. And so I don't want to get too deeply into that, but this is the question I want to ask you today. And how are you growing in love towards those who are hardest to love? When I think about applying this idea of as I obey, I grow in love, the first question I ask is how am I loving those who are closest to me? And that's an appropriate response, but that's also easy. If I love my wife well, maybe she'll love me back. If I love my kids well, maybe they'll love me back. But the real example of God's love bearing fruit in your life is how do I love those who are hard to love? How do I love those who, even though I love them, continue to give me back nothing? How do you love that single mom in your small group who, when you invite them over, you know that kid's going to break some stuff? How do you love that neighbor who <laughs> isn't the funnest person to be around? How are you doing in loving them? That's the people that give us confidence because those are the people that God loved. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Brings us to our third point. Those who abide in him become like him. Those who abide in him become like him. And I, I love this word, verse because it, it points directly back to another thing John wrote, specifically about the inst Jesus' instructions on this topic in John chapter 15. And you know, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but I think it's, I can just imagine that John, as he's writing this lesson, this letter to this group of believers, that he's remembering the things that he uh, wrote down that Jesus had taught in John 15, 4. It says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Like John is saying, remember that lesson that Jesus gave us. Remember that when you remain intimately connected to Jesus Christ, you'll begin to look like him. 
The illustration that God gives us in this passage and, uh, is the idea of grafting, the idea of uh, two plants coming together and becoming one. Uh, this, I think, is super cool. That's a fruit salad tree. Anybody ever heard of that? <laughs> There's this uh, uh, like farm in Australia uh, that essentially discovered that if you take the branch of a citrus tree and you fuse it, graft it, to the trunk of another citrus tree, it will continue to bear multiple fruits. So you can take the branch of a lemon tree and the branch of a lime tree and you can put them both onto an orange tree and you essentially have a tree that bears three kinds of fruits. This is kind of the illustration that Jesus uses when he's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. What's actually happening here when you look at what happens when two things are grafted is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to abide in Christ. The first thing that has to happen is you have to shave off all the outer bark so that the uh, inner, it's called vascular cambium, I did have to look that up, uh, can actually connect. And when those two fleshy places, those two uh, places close to the inner core of the vine and the branch connect, what happens is they grow together. And the branch, if you were to leave it on the ground, what happens to a branch on the ground? It dies. But as soon as you connect that branch to that tree or to that vine, the nutrients from the roots flow up through the trunk and into that branch. And what happens is that branch, which was cut off and left alone to die, as soon as it's connected to the tree, brings to life is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to abide in Christ. That disconnected from Christ, we have no power. Disconnected from Christ, we have no nutrients. Disconnected from Christ, we have no ability to function or thrive on our own in any meaningful eternal way. But connected to Christ, you have literally everything you need. Write this down. Without an intimate connection to Jesus Christ, we will never bear the fruit of obedience that leads to love. This isn't a message about trying harder. This isn't a message about obeying more. Though there are some things we can do intentionally to abide in Christ, abiding is far more holistic I don't want to boil it down to, hey, okay, how do we abide? Just read your Bible and pray more. Though that's part of it. Abiding is way more life holistic than just simply following a set of instructions. You have to intimately stay connected to Jesus Christ. And abiding starts with the recognition that I am not central to my life. Abiding starts with the recognition that I don't have it. And I want it, and it comes from Christ. And we practice that connection through spiritual disciplines. Like reading the Bible and praying and 
fasting and being in community. And there's a whole long list of things that we do to practice that connection. But we can do those things and not grow. We aren't recognizing that abiding comes from the recognition that I am not central. And then abiding means that I submit to the vine dresser to become more like Christ. That means that there are times of pruning. There are times of hardship. But those are the things that Jesus Christ allows and does so that we will continue to grow, to be more like When I do, I grow in my obedience. I grow in my love for God and my love for others. As I was kind of studying this this week, honestly, it aligns with my personal life story pretty well. I, uh, uh, my dad was a pastor. I was born when he was uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary. Go Longhorns. And I came to faith in Christ at three and a half. I still remember. uh, We had like a blue comforter. I had the bunk bed. I slept on top even though I have no siblings. And uh, there's like family prayer time. And out of nowhere, I just, I, I remember, even so young, that I asked Christ to be my Savior. And I remember not understanding why then we didn't go to bed. We got up and we called grandma and grandpa. I was like, what? I thought this is what I was supposed to do. And the interesting thing is you look at it so young. What was I saved? I was, what? I was saved from what? Junior high stretched into high school. Patterns of disobedience developed. got to the place where when I was in college, I wasn't sure that was real. I wasn't sure that it was a true salvation experience because I wasn't sure I even believed in God. But through some wonderful friends, I came to the conclusion that either the tomb is empty or it's not. That requires a response. when I look at that through the lens of this, what I see is patterns of disobedience that led to a lack of abiding, which led to a distance in my relationship with Jesus Christ. But I look back on that and I believe to this day that that was a legitimate salvation experience. And the reason I believe that is because the Spirit wouldn't let me keep living that way. me back and as I look at it now several years removed from college I can look at patterns of growth my wife will tell you I'm not the same guy she married that is a really good thing because God has continually taken me through seasons Some have been fun. Some have been gut-wrenching. 
but I can look back at those things and I can say the spirit was moving and it resulted in increased obedience. It resulted in increased love. And all of that came from the fruit of abiding in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians that it is appropriate to evaluate your faith. It is appropriate at times to wrestle with whether or not you have truly come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And John gives us the evidence of that. He gives us the conditions. He gives us the things to look for to have confidence in that faith. But I love that John doesn't just leave us there. I love that it's not just verses three and four, but that he says those who are obedient to Christ grow in faith. They grow in love. And that as we abide, we become more and more like him. Reality is, we model who we worship. That should be our target. That should be the thing that we are all after. My prayer today is that we as a body continually grow into a greater reflection of Jesus Christ. When we grow, then we'll know. Let's pray. God, we worship you. We thank you with grateful hearts for the work that your son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross. We recognize that no salvation is possible except through Jesus Christ. We can't earn it, we didn't deserve it, and yet you, out of love, sacrificed so that we could come back to you. Lord, I pray that our lives would continually be more and more refined into the image of Christ, that we would model who we worship. Pray these things in Jesus' name.